banker, consumer advocate, analyst, trader. Chris Markowski is the watchdog on Wall Street. You want answers? Exposing the lies and myths that the big brokerage firms, the mainstream press, and the government are pushing to keep Americans away from financial freedom. You can't handle the truth. Bringing America the truth about what really happens in the financial world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not here to indulge in fantasy, but in political and economic reality. This is the Watchdog on Wall Street. Bulls, bears, bears, bulls, 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 bears. Yeah, welcome, everybody. <laughs> we're, we're talking animals today on the Watchdog on Wall Street show. Oh, yes, NASDAQ is in a bear. It's in bear territory. I, I remember when my uh, my daughter, when she was little, she had this, this fear of bears. I don't know what it was. There was that Disney show, Bear in the Big Blue House. You couldn't watch that. But anyway, um, I, I got to talk a little about bulls and bears. I got to go back with story when I first started. First started in the industry, first started on Wall Street, and I had uh, a lot of bosses. Had a lot of bosses back in the day, and, and all these bosses, most of them a bunch of ignoramuses. They all, you go into their office, they would have a bull statue somewhere. It would be on the shelf, it would be on their desk. Here's a bit of advice for everybody out there. If you're... Um, if your schlock broker, if your advisor's got a bear statue, or or better yet, better yet, a uh, a picture on their wall of bulls and bears duking it out, run. I, I, I'm Forrest Gump it. You know, just run right through the tunnel. Just get the hell out of there. Anyway, anyway, we're gonna talk a little bit about this animal nonsense. Um, the irrational, the irrational, the hysterical behavior that, um, I've witnessed, I've watched over the years. And when it comes to the markets, when markets are down, when they start talking about bear markets and you got the graphics on TV, it is something to behold. There's two things. And we've explained this year that, that drive investors off the cliff why people lose on a regular basis fear bears and greed bulls yeah fear of a mar oh no it's a market downturn what are we gonna do or on the other side you know chasing things up at ridiculous levels i was um I was on Fox Business this past week. I was mornings with Maria, and I do it from time to time. And we got to the point, the conversation was asking me what I'm doing with my clients. And again, they like on these programs. It would be Fox Business, CNBC. I don't even go on CNBC because they, they want you to give picks, and I won't do that. And I was glad. I was glad. Maria gave me the opportunity to explain because I was on with um, one of the guys here. was Dennis Gartman. And this guy's been a this guy's been a pundit for years. And if you take a look at his track record, yeah, it's pretty much in line with the New York Jets. Not good. 
not good over the long term by any stretch of the imagination. And he's telling people what to do on the pro. And I'm like, um, I-, I buy companies. I buy companies. I buy high quality businesses. I don't look at things as I'm buying paper or an electronic blip on the screen. I am an owner. My clients are owners of high quality businesses. And I made the point, I said, it is a complete exercise in futility in efforts of trying to time the markets. Nobody in the history of the planet, you understand this? You keep tuning in. So many of you keep tuning in and listening to this nonsense and think that you've got some magic software. All of these different things. No one's been able to do it. I don't know if they. I don't think they do it anymore. I, I, at the end of the day, I, I don't ha- usually have the business programs on in my office. You remember when? Uh, maybe they still do. It's CNBC, the ends of the trading day, with the um, some reporter saying it's four p.m. Do you know where your money is? <laughs> it's kind of like radio stations too. Yeah, at times I get called and uh, some salesperson from a radio station. Would you like to sponsor the market wrap at four o'clock where we tell everybody what the Dow, the NASDAQ and the S&P did? It's a wonderful opportunity. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, most days, I don't, I don't know what the market has done at four o'clock. I'm not paying attention to that. You know, the, the old saying there, a, a stopwatch is accurate twice a day. Yeah, yeah, this is makes sense when you take a look at all these ridiculous, ridiculous stock procrastinating. All these people on these programs. Hi, uh, Bob Jones. Uh, he called it. He said that the market was due for a sell-off. He said it was due for a sell-off. He said it in December. And look what's happened. Hey, I, I bet you're feeling pretty good right now. And then you you do a little bit of homework on Mr. Smarty Pants and you take a look at his long-term track record and you get the better picture, get the full picture. I I told this story before about the uh, guy guy called us up. Again, this is 15 years ago, 15-plus years ago, wanting us to take over his firm, wanted to sell it to us. And again, he starts telling me the story. I'm like, we're out of here. We're out of here when the story is done. I I can't deal with this nonsense. And how he was um, setting up a a mutual fund back in the summer of 1987. And due to, you know, government regulations, uh, snail pace of the SEC and the NS NASDAQ at that NSDR at that point in time, he was unable to get his fund up and running until November. So all of the money that he raised for the fund was in cash. Was in cash. Now, we all know what happened in October 1987. Now, the the funniest thing about it was the fact that he was basically put out as some sort of conquering hero, some really smart money manager, because he was entirely, his mutual fund was entirely in in cash during the crash of 1987. It was complete luck, blind luck. That's it. Again, people, at some point in time, 
some point in time, you've got to get off the hamster wheel, okay? you got to get off the hamster wheel. You know, you could spend, you could quit your job tomorrow, okay? You could quit your job tomorrow, and you could spend hours and hours and hours studying the markets and doing your homework and spending all this great money on software, all this stuff, and you're still not going to be able to tell what the market is going to do. Market chasers, market chasers, people try to time the markets. It's no different than going to a casino. Eventually, you will lose. Eventually, you're going to lose everything. Now, when, when it comes to all the volatility that we're seeing right now, did you understand that if you own high-quality companies, you own businesses, fundamentally sound, great management. We went over this last week on the program at great length. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I, I have all of these charts and, and whatnot that I've uh, put together, various different calamities, panics, um, issues, invasions, wars, going back 100 years. Most of them, people have forgotten Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Stocks are going to make fantastic. High-quality companies will make fantastic investments over the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. But you know what? you got to get through tomorrow. What people do, it's human nature, is, is when things are not going well in the overall market. You're, you're, oh, my, look at my portfolio. Look at my statement. I'm down from last month. You, you extrapolate that into the future. People fret furiously. Oh, my God, look at I'm down. Rather than paying attention to where, they're, where they came from originally. Again, the market, well, not the markets do, okay? They're not, they're not always efficient, but they're going to reflect the growth of the world's leading companies. That's, that's just the reality. That is the reality of the situation over time you know i talk about talk about preparation what we do our personal cfo program which everybody is invited to become a part it's basically a family office for you and it's open to everyone and we talk about how your life's goals you're gonna you're gonna have goals you're gonna set goals like you always want to overcome obstacles i think this is a part of human nature quite frankly in order for people to be happy you have to overcome obstacles and achieve goals but you know what those goals might change over time but if you are putting and you're preparing your assets to go out there and meet those goals guess what you are going to be successful successful investors have their portfolios managed in the service of what they want in life instead of trying to beat the market you're trying to listen you can take a look at the returns that we've shown our clients over the years. You know, you don't see us touting that. You don't see us touting that. And again, it, you know, we don't run a hedge fund here. We don't run mutual funds or ETFs. Everybody's portfolio, everyone's situation is unique and different. We're always trying to get the highest level return. Of course we are. And obviously managing the risk as well. 
out performance is very desirable. We work towards that, you know, the whole seeking alpha. But 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 it's it's not a goal. You know, goals are. I'll give you an example of goals. I, you you want to retire at a certain age? I, you know, that's up to you. That that that's a goal. You want to pay for your kids' college education, save it up. Well, I guess that's a goal too. You you want to leave a lasting legacy? You want to put a a, a wing on a hospital? That's a goal. Goal-oriented investing is about accumulating and growing one's assets to meet one's goals. The portfolio is always the servant of one's goals. A goal-oriented investor acts. A market-driven investor reacts. And again, outperforming the markets if you're smart, you own high-quality companies, focus on the fundamentals. Not a difficult thing to do over time. We're going to take a quick break right here. Um, again, I want to invite each and every one of you to become a part of what we do. Uh, our, our personal CFO program. We get a lot of great stuff at our website. We've got account repair kits, uh, our newsletter, of course, our podcast, which I do five days a week. Um, but our personal CFO program has been great. We offer everything, money management, legal, account, whatever you need. Okay, this is what we're all about, and it's open to everyone. You do not need to have five million bucks to work with the Markowski family. That's not what we're about. So get to our website, watchdogonwallstreet.com. That's watchdogonwallstreet.com, or you give us a call at 800 471 5984. That's watchdogonwallstreet.com, or give us a call at 800 800- 471-5984. We'll be back. This is the Watchdog on Wall Street. Yeah, you might call me the same old boring Markowski. Yeah, teaching the fundamentals here on the program. Yeah, that's that's what we do. You want, me, you want me to lie to you? Tell you that I've got some sort of magical, magical algorithm. The new watchdog algorithm where I can show you outsized returns with all of this leverage and derivatives. It's nonsense. It is. Yeah, go, going back to my appearance with Maria this past week. Um. <laughs> I explained, I said, listen, we dollar cost average. It's what we're doing right now. You know, we like to build what we like to call portfolios, and it's not my word. It's Nicholas Taleb's word, anti-fragile. When we are faced with the, ooh, the big scary bear, when we are faced with market sell-offs, guess what? Our portfolios get stronger. They get better. That's the entire concept. When our portfolios get shocked, when things go down, and we're dollar cost averaging, we're able to come out on the other side of whatever is taking place better and stronger than we were before. This is what good companies do, too. Now, you can talk about this in terms of, you know, I compare recessions to almost like the lymphatic system for the human body. And you want your business, you want your business during a recession to be able to retrench 
reevaluate and then come out on the other side stronger. That's what, that's what anti-fragile is all about. You see how many, how many funds are blowing up and, uh, brokers are losing their clients, all their money in these situations is because they have fragile portfolios. I don't want to have, and again, I don't want to have a resilient portfolio. I want an anti-fragile portfolio. I want to go into bear markets, come out on the other side, sell-offs, pan- whatever it may be, and be stronger. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. That's what you want to strive for. You know, talk about, okay, retirement, we're going to meet goals out there. It's different. We, we talk about, you know, people always mention the phrase financial planning. No, it's, it's financial preparation. It's financial preparation, being able to deal what is thrown at you. Now, you can, you can go into, this is old Navy SEAL logic here, okay? And it's true. You go into battle with a map and a plan. But when you get on a battlefield and the terrain and the conditions are different than what you expected, what do you do then? You go with the terrain. We talked about a little bit last week about Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett in his annual report back in 2007 wrote a message to his shareholders in the form of a help-wanted advertisement. I know I've mentioned this before here on the show. Wanted a young man or woman with the potential to manage a very large portfolio. The ideal candidate must be someone genetically programmed to recognize and avoid serious risks, including those never before encountered. Other key requirements, independent thinking, emotional stability, and a key understanding of both human and institutional behavior. Expect the unexpected. When the markets sell off for no apparent reason or for a just reason, when you have international conflict like we're dealing with today, either way, don't be surprised. And when things race through the roof on no news, you know, don't really be perplexed. Okay? Stuff happens sometimes, if you know what I mean. The, the investors that lose time and time again, and this is including all of the hedge funds that are losing everybody a ton of money at this point in time that are not prepared. These people, they promise ridiculous outsized returns. The other idiots that you see on radio and television pitching magical trading software. Oh, I make your money. What the market's doing? This is an arrogance that we see out there. But the fact is, is that they don't know what they don't know. In the field of psychology, there's actually a term for this. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. In essence, it's a cognitive bias in which people of low ability have this illusion of superiority. And they assess their cognitive, they mistakenly assess their cognitive ability as greater than it is. This this is what we're dealing with right now. And this is what you're faced with right now. Don't. Don't participate in any of this stuff. This is why you've got to get things done the right way. 
You financially prepare the right way. You own high-quality companies. You look to build a portfolio that gets stronger, more resilient. Not even resilient. I don't even like using that word. You want to be resilient, but you want to get stronger on the other side. Every single market calamity that we've dealt with over the past three decades, our portfolios came out on the other side bigger, stronger, faster. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Again, become part of the Watchdog on Wall Street family, our personal CFO program. A lot of great stuff there at our site. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. We'll be back. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street. only man who is taking on the Wall Street establishment. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. I was uh, afforded the opportunity this week. I enjoy doing this. I really do. I, I have no problem. I get invited. I'm going to most certainly speak to speak to kids. I um, was invited to a college uh, class, business ethics class, and uh, was asked a bunch of questions by the professor and the kids, uh, you know, chiming in and asking me a bunch of things. And I you know, kind of explaining to them about, you know, my history and where I've come from. And again, they were, there was question in regards to paternalism and, you know, how, how much government should be involved in the SEC and policing the markets. And uh, I, I, I told them, I said, you know, when I first started the radio show, I, I would yell and scream and get hot and bothered and angry because of all these ripoffs and scams and people people losing all of their money on a regular basis and i i drifted away from that i got away from that i the, we've evolved here on the show and we've most certainly taken a more uh, personal responsibility approach um, and people need to be responsible and they have to understand some the importance the importance of understanding that that everything in life that has meaning, value, and worth involves work, time, and effort. Um, I also mentioned during the bit, I, I invited the kids to watch and have a little fun. I told them to go back and watch an episode of South Park that I'm a big fan of. This is back during the financial crisis. Because what we're seeing right now, it's again, I'm getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, uh, from people all over the country that uh, their portfolios have been de- decimated, worse than decimated. Decimated is 10%. <laughs> they're, they're cut in half or more. Cut in half or more. And it's I, I don't like seeing this. I don't. Um, again, I'm not going to yell and scream about it. But again, I said, you know, what got yourself? One of the things I, I do now is how did you get yourself in this situation? Well, I thought that, you know, I could make this and yet greed and fear set the trap. Get rich quick con artists, the world's second oldest profession. But anyway, anyway, the, the South Park episode is like season 13 um, during the financial crisis. It starts off. It starts off at a, uh, a bank where a, a broker is uh, supposedly helping out their clients. Have a listen. Do I really have to do this, Dad? 
Stan, now more than ever, you need to understand the importance of saving money. But Grandma said I could use this money to buy whatever I want. Okay, next please. Go on, Stanley. I got a hundred dollar check from my grandma, and my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a money market mutual fund. Then we'll reinvest the earnings into foreign currency accounts with compounding interest, and it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. What's all gone? The money in your account. It didn't do too well. It's gone. What do you mean? I, I have a hundred dollars. Not anymore, you don't. Poof. Well... Well, what can I do to get back I'm my- I'm sorry, sir, but this line is for bank members only. I just opened an account. Do you have any money invested with this bank? No, you just lost it all. Then please stand aside for people who actually have money with us. Next, please. Hey! Hello, Mrs. Farnickel. How are you today? Making a deposit, are we? Great. We can just put that into your retirement account and make it go to work for you, and it's gone. What? Sorry, yeah, that's gone. Please step aside for people who actually have money with the bank. Next, please. Dad! Hey, I'm trying to teach my son the importance of savings. You already lost his money? Oh, Mr. Marsh, d don't worry. We can just transfer money from your account into a portfolio with your son, and it's gone! This line is for people who have money with the bank only. Please step aside. Dan, <laughs> it never gets old for me! It never gets old, and I laugh, and I'm not doing this at the expense of people that are hurting right now because of some of the, the choices that they made. I'm, I'm not doing that, okay? Um, I'm trying to teach here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get through to people out here and understanding that there is a right way and a wrong way of doing things. And, and you have all sorts of fads and nonsense that come up over the past couple of years. ESG investing. How's that worked out? Was it was it a great idea for you to sell all of your energy companies and th energy companies are evil? They're terrible. They're awful. You know, that's like saying the blood in your body is evil, terrible and awful. It keeps you alive. But yeah, yeah, all, all of the people that divested from all of that and put it in all to this other nonsense. To me, to me, it, it, it's it's just downright stupid why would you limit yourself why would you limit your portfolio we got one esg fund imploding after another one imploding I one woke manager after another woke manager showing re awful returns i mean you want to do something with your money go ahead and donate it for crying out loud somewhere you're going to invest like this. It's downright moronic. We have a fiduciary responsibility to put our client's interests always above our own and show him the highest level of return. I, a quick story if we go to the break. I, again, another firm. Another firm contacts us. I got to go. I meet with these people. And, and that's all they did. They just did nothing but ESG. I'm like... So you're going to limit yourself to only these things. Are you out of your mind? I'm, I, what am I going to do with this? I'm, I, I'm, so I'm going to limit the returns for my clients? And, and you pitch this? And Does it make you feel good that you've lost money with your investments when you could have grown that money and then donated it to whatever cause you wanted? Anyway, watchdogonwallstreet.com. Watchdogonwallstreet.com. Again, personal CFO program. 
account repair kits, podcasts, all sorts of great stuff. Watch Dog on Wall Street.com or give us a call 800 471 5984. You should believe in math. Not magic. You're listening to the Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. Yeah, we're going to get into energy. We're going to get into the um, the geopolitical stuff uh, throughout the uh, the show today. A lot we we have to go over. There's no doubt about that. Well, we're going to get into it all. We're going to get into it all. But I um I, I want to. I've been neglecting. You know, we, we started off this show 22 years ago. We did a lot of ripoffs and scams, and I, I really haven't been talking much about them on the program, and that they're starting to, to pile up, and they are. I, I talk about these stories because hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll reach out, I'll get, I'll get a hold of somebody out there, somebody will hear it, and they won't do something stupid. Or they'll give us a call and ask us about that nice, that nice advisor that I met at the church group that wants to put me. No, no. Okay. This is what, this is what we're here for. And this is why I talk about these things on the program. But I, I was, um, it's funny seeing these stories. It's some Swiss banks, Swiss bank credit, Swiss, uh, UBS. And whenever I, I see these stories, these ripoffs and scams with these, uh, Swiss banks, here, I'm, remember uh, the James oh, Pierce Brosnan was a pretty good James Bond, in my opinion. He did uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, and like the opening sequence in Tomorrow Never Dies. Remember, he meets with the Swiss banker, and he's needling him. Now, if you can't trust a Swiss banker, who can you trust? And, and then he, he gave uh, gave the Swiss banker crap. Oh yeah, you know, Swiss bankers, you're real good at returning people what they rightfully own. And this is going back to, you know, the hiding assets from Jews during World War II and holding on to them. And then, you know, during the 1990s, shredding all of those documents to keep them away from uh, people actually getting what they they deserve. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why you would do business, why you would have an account with one of those firms. Doesn't make any sense to me, but people do. It, it's funny right now is the Credit Suisse, is actually going and asking their various different hedge fund clients to shred documents. Again! Again! They, they love their document shredders. And what are these documents related to? Yeah, their dealings with the Russian oligarchs. They don't want the Russian oligarch clients, the assets to get found. They're shred the documents and telling all the hedge funds that they put them, uh, that their money is with, get rid of all that information. I, I, I credit Swiss as well. They they completely ignored the uh, cocaine linked murder. This this uh, thing again. Laundering money, laundering money for and it was some bull. Again, it's it, it's it, it's like out of a, a television show. Some Bulgarian wrestler, uh, this big drug dealer, and all this stuff going on. Five hundred pages. Again, they knew about it. Did they care? Oh, no, no. I mean, UBS, another Swiss bank, ordered to pay investor $1.1 million for alleged mismanagement. I go on and on and on. Understand who you're doing business with, people. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. We'll be back. Chris Markowski is the Watchdog on Wall Street. 
Bringing America financial freedom one listener at a time. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. You know, it, it, again, it's, I, I mentioned before, I said, you know, every single client that we have is different. Everyone's portfolio is different. Everybody has a certain risk tolerance, certain position in life. Um, in essence, we're building a fund for you and your family. So, again, everyone's situation different. I can't say, oh, this was our returns last year for our clients. No, they're all different. They're all different. Um, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. What I, what I can tell you about a track record is every single time, 100%, 100% of the time, we've people calling us up, asking us our advice in regards to some investment, some broker, and this is going back to Bernie Madoff for crying out loud. I've warned people about that. Not once, not once did anybody call me back in all of our years and say, Markowski, you got it wrong. I made a fortune with that guy. Not once. Over the past couple of years, I've been warning people here on the program in regards to getting involved in these SPACs. These, uh, yeah, these uh, blank check companies. And what did we tell you? We told you, yeah, the people that are putting the SPACs together, they're going to make a fortune. Okay? You're last person in. Okay? Do you understand? You're the one that's going to be left standing without a chair when the music stops. Yeah. And, and that's what's happened. You got all of these promises all of these magical promises being made by all of these SPACs out there, and how's it working out for people? Again, I'm not here to say, see, I told you so, and you should. It's not what I'm trying to do here, okay? I'm trying to get you to see the light. I'm trying to get you to understand how the world works so it doesn't happen to you again. I remember when we first started Markowski Investments, and when we first started Markowski Investments, we were targeting... We were targeting various different people, lots of people from all over the country that were whacked by the Wolf on Wall Street firms out there, the penny stock firms out there. And tell me, listen, we got an account repair program. We're going to you know, show you how to make your money back. Many of them, they didn't, they didn't want to. They wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to continue to invest in all these crazy things or double down on lousy investments and lousy ideas, thinking that they were going to get their money back. I mean, it's a simple concept. You're down 50% on your portfolio, and you don't own high-quality companies, and it's not a market-driven event. It's a quality. It's a fundamental event. Do you think you're going to see that 100% and make your money back? No, don't do that. Actually, um, actually got a couple questions uh, in regards to this. Of course, did you see? Did you see Wall Street's trying to Wall Street's trying to benefit? They're trying to trade. The big firms are trying to trade. You know, Russian bonds because they 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 they're going to see the return of Russia. They're going to make this oversized return. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, and I, let me let me put all you people that are you know all upset about that. Um, you know the story of the scorpion and the frog. You know the story. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. Tony Soprano told it too in uh, the Sopranos when his buddy, his friend there, decided to get too far in in gambling. Hey, you know, scorpion asks a frog, "Take me across, take me across the river." There, and the frog's like, "No way, no way, you're gonna kill me." The scorpion's like, no, I say, if I were to do that, we're going to both drown. So the frog's like, okay, that makes sense. And the scorpion gets on the frog's back. They're going across the water. What does a scorpion do? Stings a frog. And as they're, they're going in and they're drowning, frog, why would you do that? The scorpion's like, that's my nature. That, that's, that's what I am. I'm a scorpion. That's what Wall Street firms do. And it, it reminded me, because I got a bunch of questions in regards to this. Um, back in... 1996. 1996, I'm on a trading floor. Trading floor in Manhattan, and I, I was in the spring. And it was going across the, the wires at a point in time. It was an awful story. Um, everybody remembers there was an airline crash. Value jet uh, went down in the Everglades, and I think everyone was killed. As that news was crossing, you know, you had... Guys, you know, that instantly shorten the stock, doing this, making moves. And yeah, I, I've always thought about that over the years. And I, it was another one of those things that kind of growing up in the industry. I said, I, I can't do that. This is, yeah, there's another, this is not for me. This area of the business, I, I can't operate like that. But they can. Again, a, a scorpion is going to do what a scorpion is going to do. Anyway, anyway, I, I saw this story, and again, this is I, I, back in the day. I'd yell and scream about this, but now I'm like, "Come on, man!" An Ohio man, it's amazing, pleaded guilty to securities fraud after admitting he used a Twitter, a popular Twitter account, to pump and dump penny stocks. The the Twitter alias. I'm not making this up. Not making this up. His Twitter alias was Alex DeLarge. You know what that's from? Clockwork Orange. That evil guy from uh, the Clockwork Orange. And he encouraged, he encouraged its 70,000 followers to invest in certain penny stocks over the counter shares. And when they did and they listened to him, he sold his. Now, I I'm saying to myself, I okay, I see this story. And I'm like, it's terrible. I don't like it to see it when people lose money. But you're listening to advice from a guy whose Twitter handle is Alex. You're, you're giving financial advice from a Twitter account. I mean, come on, man. People, you've got to be smarter than that. And again, I got a stack of stories that are identical to this. Why? Why? Greed or fear set the trap. Everything in life that has meaning, value, and worth involves work, time, and effort. Stop looking for bloody shortcuts. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. We'll be back. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street. Ah. Uh.
investment banker, consumer advocate, analyst, trader. Chris Markowski is the watchdog on Wall Street. You want answers? Exposing the lies and myths that the big brokerage firms, the mainstream press, and the government are pushing to keep Americans away from financial freedom. You can't handle the truth. Bringing America the truth about what really happens in the financial world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not here to indulge in fantasy, but in political and economic reality. This is the Watchdog on Wall Street. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Watchdog on Wall Street Show. I um, was watching a really great panel discussion. Uh, and I'm going to get further into it later on in the program. We're going to get to some of the geopolitical stuff a little bit later on in the program. And there was a point that was made. One of the, the panelists was uh, Susan Eisenhower, the granddaughter of Dwight Eisenhower. And she, was, she mentioned, she says, I, I get invited to come on programs, television all the time. And she's like, the things that they want to talk about can't be discussed in two minutes. You can't figure this out in two minutes. You know, that, that whole concept of give me your elevator pitch. There, there's so many things in the world right now that are, are very highly important, highly complex that you can't finish in a few minutes segment on Fox, CNN, CNBC, whatever it may be. You need to do your homework. You need to look into these things. And we're going to delve into right now, again, a topic that is uh, it's ticking a large swath of the country off. Not everybody. Not everybody. There's a lot of people that are, they love what's going on when it comes to oil prices. They love it. They love it. In fact, they're high-fiving one another. They love that this was... This was the original plan, if you will, and I know I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. Stephen Chu, Barack Obama's energy, energy secretary, he comes in and he said, yeah, it'd be great if American gasoline prices at the pump were the same price as they were in Europe. And Europe's much more expensive. I think they're, they're paying the equivalent right now in Europe of about $8, $9 a gallon. Obviously, it's liters there. You, 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 know, you do the math. It's about 8 9 bucks. A gallon. They, they love the fact that this is going up. Certain people, certain powers that be, because it pushes an agenda. Um, I, I got to go over some of the things that have been said here. First, first and foremost, um, at some point in time, you have to call these people out with their stupidity, and the media just doesn't do it. You had White House, again, National Economic Council Director, he, was, he, was, he did several, appear, several appearances and, and press conferences. This guy's name is Brian Dees. And, and he argued, and he actually stated this, that no amount of domestic production, no amount of domestic production could reduce global prices. The only way to fix prices would be shifting to cleaner sources of energy. So you basically have, and this is, call it what it is, this guy is an economic council director and he doesn't understand supply and demand. He obviously doesn't. So again, it's one of those things. Either he is an absolute idiot or a liar. And again, if I was in the press pool, this is why I would never be in the press pool because they never allowed me. I said, are you either really stupid or are you a liar? Because there's no in between here. It's one or the other. 
all of the other crap that we're seeing. You know, what you're seeing right now is a lot of um, a lot of posturing out there. A lot of tough talk. A lot of tough talk. Yeah, yeah, oh, we got you know, Biden is uh, you know, he's no more purchases of uh, Russian Russian energy. Yeah, press conference. Yeah, we're really sticking it to him. No, we're not. First and foremost, in case you're not aware of this, um, that that order doesn't take effect in, for 45 days. That's right. All existing contracts we're going to make good for 45 days. Not not to mention the fact, do you think it's going to be difficult for Russia to sell that oil and gas to somebody else at a discount? No. No, they will. China will buy it. China will buy it. You, you, you've done... Nothing. I, again, yeah, you, you know, you got your picture in the paper. Joe did a press conference, but you didn't do anything. Again, I'm taking shots at this administration, and rightfully so. You know, Biden, as far as his foreign policy expertise is concerned, this guy's a moron. He first called, he called Vladimir Putin a killer. He went after the, the Saudi Arabian regime as well. And now he's calling up Saudi Arabia, he's calling up the UAE, and he's, you guys got to pump more oil. You guys got to get, you got to pump more oil. They're not even taking his phone call. They're, they've ghosted our president. Think about that. Then you get Elizabeth Warren, who's going back. Again, this is the greatest hits. Great, greatest hits for you uh, liberal Democrats out there. Last evil oil companies. And we need to have a windfall profits tax. And again, let's go back to the 90s when gasoline went to $3 a gallon and there was a collective freakout here in this country. Congress said, we're demand all these oil executives to come to Washington, D.C., and we're going to wave our fingers at them. I remember Maxine Waters, the Freudian slip. We're going to socialize you oil companies. Even uh, yeah, Bill O'Reilly, who's another economic ignoramus on his program. Hey, we need to have a windfall profits tax on these oil companies. Yeah, well, Elizabeth Warren's back at it again. Same thing. Same thing. And again, some of the things I, I, I don't understand, at, you know, what point in time you people out there are going to wake up. I mean, these are the empty suits that we have in charge. And again, I, it's, I, I'm not happy about this. You got Mayor Pete Buttigieg, jig, 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 telling everybody to go out and buy an electric car. Everybody is an electric car. It will solve all of our problems. Um, first and foremost, um, let's just be honest here. Uh, this electric car thing's been going on for what? Twelve years? Twelve? Fifteen years? Let's say, let's say twelve. You know what? We'll even say we'll say ten. We'll say ten. Um, you know what? 3% of the cars sold here in this country are electric. But going on for 10 years, 3% are electric. Do you think that there's enough electric cars out there right now to sell? All the electric car manufacturers, they can't get the materials to make the electric cars. I don't know if you saw, nickel went parabolic this past week. And they're cutting production. Not to mention that these cars are bloody expensive for most people. What's the average electric car? 50 grand? Not everybody can afford that. Not to mention Mayor Pete, you abjunct moron, because that's what he is. He's a moron. Do you think that our electric grid, if you stole 
Thanos Infinity Gauntlet from the Avengers and you snap your fingers and everybody had an electric car. Do you, do you think our electric grid can handle it? That this is, this is your solution? Go out and buy an electric car. This is how out of touch these people are. And again, you, they come out and they lie. They lie. I don't understand at one point. I don't why the, why the press corps is so bloody unprepared. I mean, it's like the right hand doesn't talk to the left hand. This is a, you know, several weeks ago. New York Times. Biden administration halts new drilling and legal fight over climate costs. Remember that? There was a case in Louisiana in regards to pricing carbon. Then a price in carbon, Biden lost that. Then it goes to the Supreme Court. Once that thing got rejected in Louisiana, they halted all new drilling. Yet Jen Psaki will continue to go out to the microphone and say, no, 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 we're letting everybody drill as much as they want. I, I got to give a, because we talked about this here on the program. I, it was either here, it was on the radio, the terrestrial program I'm doing now, or it was on the podcast. Um, some of the new regulations that the EPA has put into place. I don't know if you're aware of this, for new drilling. Um, you got you got a lease out there somewhere, okay? They talk they talk about, yeah, we've got all these leases. We've got all these federal leases out there. Well, do you, you know what first has to happen? Uh, oil company leases on federal land. Okay. Um, it has to find oil. What if it's not there? Well, guess what? If it's not there, it's not there. They still got to pay the money on the lease, right? Still have to do that. So you first have to find it. The next thing you do is you got to figure out what the costs are of getting the oil or gas out of the ground. What's it going to cost? How do we bring it to market? And whether or not we can make money doing that. Now, one of the, the latest and greatest EPA rules is saying that all of the methane, natural gas that comes out of the ground, which happens when you're drilling for oil, needs to be captured. And that's all well and good because you can use it. But what if you're in some remote area where it's too costly to capture it? And they don't, let you, they don't let you build pipelines here in this country. That is a cheaper way of moving that natural gas. Won't let you do that. The costs become too high. And even though that there's oil there, the regulatory costs make it too expensive to get it out of the ground. And again, I'll go back to the Biden administration. Hey, he's puffing his chest out there and first became president because he knew he could do whatever the hell he wanted. Uh, that, that first couple years of the Obama presidency, he was like, sure. like he was based, I'm basically dictator right now. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Remember, he, he stated about the coal business that he was going to regulate them out of business. I am going to destroy your industry via regulations. Again, that's the power of the executive branch of government. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a quick because I got so much more we're gonna talk about when it comes to energy. Um, and I'm just responding to a lot of your questions as well. People wondering why why do we buy why are we buying oil and gas from Russia in the first place? When I get back, I'll explain it to you. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Again, become part of the Watchdog on Wall Street family. Our personal CFO program, our podcast, all sorts of great stuff there at our site. Watchdog on WallStreet.com or give us a call 800 471 5984. So much to do, so much to see, so what's wrong with taking the back streets? The 
know if you don't go. Taking Wall Street's liars, crooks, and cheats out behind the woodshed. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street. So I, I want to be clear here. Okay? I want to be clear here. I, I have no problem with electric vehicles. I think they're pretty neat, in fact. I, I think they're pretty neat. I remember when the, the Chevy Volt was first announced. It looked like something out of a you know space-age movie. Well, what came out most certainly wasn't the case, but we did the math and we said, it's stupid to buy this car. It is, it is moronic to buy this car based upon the price and the type of car that you're getting. And we were right. You know, technology, it needs to come along at a certain pace. It comes along as quickly as it can. And guess what? As the technology evolves, it gets cheaper. It gets much cheaper. I think about, think about when the VCR first came out. You know, the VCR first came out, and it was big, massive boxes. First, Betamax was the one, and they did things wrong. Then you had the big VCR. How expensive were they? And again, go back. Go back in the uh, you know, early 19, late 1970s, early 80s, and those machines were, you know, four or $500. And Andy, adjust for inflation and see how much that actually is. Didn't take long. It took, it took some time, but again... They came down in price, and the same thing holds true with electric cars. But another thing that, that's hurting the whole electric car business is the fact that they just, they're, they're not for everyone at this point in time. It's not conducive for my family. I've got three kids. Three kids. One is in college. Two are still here. I, I still like to go visit my son. He's got lacrosse games. I go out to go to his games. It involves a lot of driving. I don't want to have to worry about finding a charging station and stopping somewhere for 45 minutes to charge a car. They, they, they're not there yet for certain families. I'm going to go into tournaments with my younger kids. I, I can't worry about that. The range is not there yet. I was making fun. I said that new BMW truck that they were advertising during the Super Bowl that's coming out. The thing goes 240 miles on a charge. I mean, it's all well and good. It's fine if you're not going anywhere. If you're going to stick around neighbor, that's fine. But it's not for everyone. You know, our, our policy when it comes to a, a myriad of different things is screwed up. You know, the whole the whole idea you you don't put the the cart before the horse. We do that all the time. Europe, too. All of their ESG dreams and green dreams there. Let's shut down all of our nuclear power plants and let's rely on Russia. Guys, this, this is not even, you know, they talk about chess and checkers. No, 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 no. This is like Candyland stupidity or levels of game theory. All right? That, that's all it is. Wait a second. We've got NATO here, and NATO is supposed to defend all of the members from Russia, yet you're going to become entirely reliant upon that country. I, I mean, how stupid can you be? And it's not just, not just in Europe they shut down all of their nuclear power plants. We did it here. Andrew Cuomo, yep, shut down the Indian Point 
nuclear power plant here in New York that, again, provided New York City with 25% of its electricity. 25% of its electricity. Where are they getting electricity now? Windmills? Solar? No. No. Generators. Burning fossil fuels. Dumb and dumber. And then you, you see posturing. Now you don't see po- just posturing here in the United States. You see it in Europe as well. Europe hopes to cut dependence on Russian gas almost 80% this year. Really? How, how do you plan on doing that? How? Can you show me your work here? How in the world do you plan on doing that? I, I thought they'd say, you know, we're going to turn all of the nuclear power plants back online. They won't even do that. How are you going to do it? Windmills? Solar? No. No, it's, it's, it's dumb. But anyway, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, because again, people ask them, why in the world, and nobody's explaining, why would we buy, when we make more, produce enough oil here in this country, why in the world, why in the world would we be buying oil and gas from Russia? And it's not a lot. What was it, 7 to 8%? Why? Because of our own stupidity. That's why. That's right. Because we're idiots. Um, we could supply the easy, that 7 8%. Uh, we get it from the Gulf of Mexico, no problem. Why don't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Well, guess what? We don't have the pipelines going to the East Coast nor the West Coast to deliver that oil. Don't have them. And again, they won't let us build them. Not to mention the fact there is a... Uh, <laughs> A hundred-year-old-plus law called the Jones Act. So what it does is it prohibits it prohibits certain ships, flagships, from going from one port here in this country to another port. Think of it like this. You know, in the same way we do this with airlines. If British Airways flies in from London, flies into JFK, it can't take off from JFK and then fly to uh, Los Angeles. It's illegal. The same thing holds true with ships because of this stupid Jones Act that's 100 years old, which is a big union giveaway. That's all it is. The ships are too small. The American tankers are too small to deliver Gulf oil to both the East Coast and West Coast. And it's actually cheaper. It's actually cheaper to buy it from Russia, have it shipped from Russia than it is from the Gulf of Mexico. Yep, the old stupid is as stupid does. So again, that's why we were buying oil and gas from Russia. Now, Canada chimed in. Folks up in Alberta, we can get you the oil. We are no problem. We can get no problem at all. We can get you the oil. Um, just just put that Keystone pipeline together. Put that Keystone pipeline together, and away we go. Got all the oil companies right now. Approve our permits. Again, we can't get out of our own way. You know, we, we more often than not become our own worst enemy. It is what it is. Anyway, um, yeah, let's talk about some of the, the economics behind what's going on and sanctions and whatnot. And there was some concern out there. Some concern out there is that we have weaponized, we've weaponized the dollar.
because of the sanctions that we put on and also sanctioning the Russian Central Bank. And we've seen what's happened to the their currency. It's completely collapsed. Their markets are shut down. They're not even open. And one of the, the concerns out there is that, you know, after doing this, are people going to move away from the dollar and go in other directions? Well, we'll talk about that when we get back. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Again, become part of the Watchdog on Wall Street family, our personal CFO program. All sorts of great stuff. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. We'll be back. Chris Markowski is the Watchdog on Wall Street. This is the Watchdog on Wall Street. I don't remember this. It was a massive, uh, massive market sell-off and issues uh, back in the late 1990s. It was 1997, and before I had the radio show, but I was doing guest appearances on programs and and commenting on this point in time. It was the whole Asian financial crisis and the issues that they had there with their system and what is called the the Che Bowl and the tie-ins between government and business and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, anyway, after 1997, um, countries, countries started accumulating more funds, in essence, to shield their currencies from crashing. And you have from reserves, currency reserves that were around $2 trillion. It went up to almost $15 trillion by 2021. Um, again, what's happening right now? happening right now you're sanctioning certain countries and people aren't able to access that money and it's not like that that money that trillions of dollars is in paper somewhere it's all a blip on a screen right it's oh i got these currency reserves that are sitting there and it's in cash and pallets of cash no no it's a blip so again people are concerned that what we're doing right now is in essence weaponizing the dollar to some degree is that will China and Russia go off on their own and create their own currency? They, 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 China's been trying this for a while. China's been trying for a while, and the world is just, it's not going to go along with it. It's just, it's, it's not the reserve currency. It's just not. It's an authoritarian country. If you think anybody's going to get on board with something like that, uh, it's ridiculous. So I, I, I find that unfounded. You know, it's interesting is that, um, our, uh, our enemy there in South America there that we've been sanctioning forever in 10 days, Venezuela. Now we're, we're cozying up with because we want their oil, right? We sent people down there to Maduro. Maduro is actually changing his ways, believe it or not. He's actually allowing capitalism, allowing the free market. Yeah, the whole socialism thing hadn't worked out too well. All of our citizens left. So they're, they're trying to, you know, bring capitalism in. And, and people are coming back into the country. Um, we say, okay, we're going to start. We'd like to start buy, buying your oil. He releases a couple Americans that were in prison. But you know what they use? They don't use the bolivar as their currency. It's the dollar. The dollar is the currency that they use in Venezuela. So again, what we're doing right now, again, it's, it may give some people some pause, but I don't see any changes anytime soon. 
Uh, I'm going to get to some business stories as well. And I, I mean, how, I don't know who thinks of things like this. It's just stupid ideas. Um, there's that uh, truck company that everybody was fawning all over. Wow, it's wonderful. It's great. Rivian. Rivian. And again, it's neat. Okay, I think the truck itself, quite frankly, looks like a bumper car. A bumper car that, you know, it reminds me, the bumper cars I used to ride uh, with my, my dad, you know, back in the 1970s. But anyway, um, Rivian, guess what? They miscalculated. They took orders, took orders for stuff, their trucks, without having the commodities ready. Again, how do you not, this is what I don't seem to understand, how do you not make sure, and this is what futures contracts are all about, this is what airlines do when they, they purchase fuel into the future so they can price their product accordingly. How, how would you not make sure that you had all of that stuff ahead of time before you priced your product? So they didn't. They didn't, and now they're seeing the price of their car. Oh, geez, all the materials are going to cost you more. They actually actually sent emails to everyone who has ordered one of their trucks and told them, oh, we're going to have to raise the price uh, by 20%. People are like, what? But I, I, I agreed to a price to buy this car, and now you're raising it by 20%? And again, they walked it back. The CEO apologized. But, I mean, come on, man. This is not, not how you run a business. Quick, another business um, story as well. Again, you're going to continue to see antitrust uh, push. You got uh, that, uh, what's her name there over at the FTC? There's a Leah Cohen there. Um, Amazon. Amazon and the MGM deal. Okay, and that's the M Amazon made the smart move. Uh, they made the smart move by saying, hey, listen, uh, we're ready to go on this this antitrust legislation here. So you, FTC, you're going to have to come back on us. And, and people are upset. They're saying, well, you know, Amazon's taking everything over. They own this. They own that. Wait a second. Okay. Um, they're buying MGM. They're buying MGM, and they overpaid. They weren't the only one that was looking at MGM. Disney was looking at MGM. Other companies, Sony was looking at MGM. Amazon offered a ridiculous price. It's a lost leader to them. And it's, again, sometimes people don't understand that. And there's been pushback in regards to uh, the FTC and people out there saying it's unfair. So, small businesses do this. I, I talked about this on a podcast. Great restaurant that I worked at in a, when I first moved to New York City, uh, working at nights, one of the best Italian restaurants on the Upper East Side. And the food was was unbelievable and reasonable. And I knew, I said, geez, I mean, every other restaurant, comparable restaurant, is selling an Oso Buco for $20 more than we are. The owner's like, you know what? I, we'll just sell them more expensive wine. They're just going to spend their money elsewhere. So we'll take a loss uh, maybe on that Oso Buco. We'll make it up somewhere else. And that's the concept. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the people right now that are into the regulation business, they don't understand that. Anyway, got to take a break. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back. The only man who is taking on the Wall Street establishment. 
You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. Now our topic, I, I mentioned Rivian, electric vehicles. Uh, Elon Musk making the news this past week. And people got upset with him. They got upset with him because, um, well, in my opinion, he did the right thing. Elon Musk, he, uh, he turned on his Starlink uh, internet service. And he has refused to censor Russian media. People are like, you got to shut down. It's propaganda. You got to shut down that Russian media. And he came. I said, I'm not going to do that. He says, I am, and I, I love this. I am a free speech absolutist. And he's right. You know what else he was right on, too? He called, um, called for Europe to restart its nuclear plants told the United States that we need to boost oil and gas output immediately. Again, I, this is a guy, this is a guy that stands to gain in every way, shape, matter, or form. I give him a lot of credit for this, okay? It stands to gain with these gasoline prices continuing to go through the roofs. He said it actually would hurt Tesla if the price for gasoline came down, price for oil came down. But he knows it's right. We're not there yet. He can't afford to sell a Tesla for $25,000. They do have, they have a new agreement, Tesla does, with um, Panasonic. And Panasonic has this new battery technology. I think they're building the Panasonic uh, battery factory in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. And supposedly this is going to increase the range of the vehicles, not to mention bring the costs of batteries down, making the cars more affordable. Again, technology over time. Keep the government out of it. Everything will be okay. Anyway, um, I saw this story too. I, 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 I talked about this years ago. I went off on a rant, you know, all these uh, lefties out there saying, it's, it's people working this gig economy. It's terrible. These people work in gigs. I said, gig economy. How many, how many jobs have I had my entire life that were gigs? A lot. A lot. We got these snowstorms growing up in upstate New York. Uh, my brothers and I, let's grab a shovels, knock on doors, shovel people's driveways, make a buck or two, mowing people's lawns. And the funny thing is, when we wanted to stop shoveling driveways and decide to go sleigh riding, we could do that. Why? Because it was our business. We were independent. I don't understand for the life of me, okay, why any, again, there's obviously some of the drivers, Uber and Lyft drivers, why they'd want to become employees. You become employees and, I mean, can't Uber and Lyft say, hey, you got to work eight hours a day? You got to put in the eight hours? Again, I, it's moronic to me. But again, it's a big union push as well. They, they want to unionize all of the gig employees, and they want to send in union dues to their offices. Watchdogonwallstreet.com. Watchdogonwallstreet.com. Don't go anywhere. We're going to talk a little bit about cryptos when we get back. Watchdogonwallstreet.com. We shall return. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street.
should believe in math, not magic. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. Anyway, so yeah, you know, Biden administration chiming in this week when it comes to crypto cryptocurrencies. And again, I don't like calling them currencies. They're not a currency. Call it something else. Call it a trinket. Call it a crypto trinket. Call it a crypto trinket. Call it a crypto token for all I care, but it's not a currency. No real business can actually accept cryptos and survive. You can't have a currency move. You can't have a currency move in the directions that, that, that cryptos do over such a short period of time. And, and it just can't. It's not sustainable. If you have, you're a company and you have a, a profit margin of 5% and you're accepting cryptocurrencies and that cryptocurrency that you accepted uh, last night uh, was down 10%, guess what? You just lost money on everything that you sold. They can't move to that great of a degree. That being said, Biden administration comes out this week. Biden administration comes out this week, and what do they do? What do they do? They, uh, we, we, we're going to start looking into this, start looking at this, and we're actually thinking about doing our own digital dollar. Again, um, we'll see. I, I, I tell you some crypto stuff here, and let, let's just be honest exactly what it's meant to criminals. Um, there's a cost. There's a cost involved with laundering money. Have any fans of the television show Ozark and Marty Bird and his family? They have to, they're laundering money for the drug cartels in the Ozarks. And I remember this, the scene in um, Scarface where they're bringing the cash into the Miami banks. And these banks that were accepting that money took a large chunk of that money because they were laundering it. There's a cost involved with that. Um, let's just say I know people, okay? Let's just say I know, I know people that are in the construction business. I know people that are in the real estate business in New York that, that actually, you know, put in flooring, do a myriad of different things. Um, and they explained to me. They said, you know, all of these drug dealers are buying these great pads, they're buying all these great pads, all of this real estate out there, and they're, they're making these places. They're like palatial, fancy, all this stuff. Why? Because of cryptos. Not because they're making money in cryptos. is that they're able to launder their money through cryptos. They don't care. They've got ill-gotten gains. So if you're a drug dealer and you've got uh, $5 million in ill-gotten gains and you buy cryptos with it let it sit there let's say it drops by 15 20 percent hey it's going to cost you that to launder the money in the first place they're able to take the money out they wash their money and away we go it's, it's people i know you got people out there that think this is the greatest thing ever but let's call it what it is it is it is a phenomenal money laundering operation and i have no idea how they're going to be able to crack down on it I, I don't know. I mean, we had this story this past week that was at Exchange BitConnect. The guy, uh, $2.4 billion Ponzi scheme. Guy's gone missing. Gone. Can't find him. 
he's gone. And it was, you know, not too long ago, you know, one of my favorites there, Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Warren Buffett's uh, right-hand man. He compared cryptocurrencies to uh, a venereal disease. Um, listen, people, I- I'm being honest with you. Um, you want to want to play a little bit in it? I get it. Okay. The issue I have is you have these celebrities out there with LeBron James, Matt Damon, all pitching this stuff on air. Do you think LeBron James or Matt Damon have taken their portfolios and dumped it totally into cryptos? No. No. You, you want to speculate? Let's get this what speculation is all about. You want to speculate? Fine. But when you speculate, you go into a speculation like this, knowing full well that you can lose and lose it all. And I, I, I try to compare this to gambling. I don't gamble. Never have. Never had any interest in it. Don't get it. Uh, all these apps out there, I, I just, not my thing. Not my thing. But a, a gambler that, that, that does it for fun, for entertainment, it's an entertainment for them. My aunt used to like going to the casino. She would go with a certain amount of money and that's it. Either she came home a winner or she came home a loser. But you limit what you're going to speculate with. In the same way, you're going to limit what you're going to gamble with. I hope that, that makes some sense. But anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> talk, about, talk about gambling. Yeah, and I, I, this, I had a laugh. I had a laugh. I, you, you would think if you had I think a, a lot of these these online you know gambling companies they they have to pay a big vig in taxes to the states and they're still making money they're still making money handovers except one there is one online gambling company business whatever you want to call it that is losing money guess who owns it yeah washington dc the state owns it no rather than rather than letting the private sector do it now again Government tries to get involved in stuff that they can't understand. How dumb can you be? How do you lose money if all you're doing is collecting a bit? How is it possible? It is. Yeah, Washington, D.C. managed to lose millions on its own sports betting app. Yeah, and also uh, went out of business, too, here in the, the state of New York. Uh, went bankrupt, was, uh, again, state-ran it. Off-track betting. The horse racing thing. How do you? How is it possible? Well, I, I give you government. This is why government stay out of it. Got to take a break, everybody. But again, uh, invite each and every one of you to become a part of our Watchdog and Wall Street family. Get to our website, WatchdogOnWallStreet.com. Sign up for our personal CFO program. All sorts of wonderful stuff at the site. Take advantage. WatchdogOnWallStreet.com or give us a call. Eight hundred four seven one fifty nine eighty four. Chris Markowski is the watchdog on Wall Street. Consumer advocate, analyst, trader. Chris Markowski is the watchdog on Wall Street. You want answers? 
exposing the lies and myths that the big brokerage firms, the mainstream press, and the government are pushing to keep Americans away from financial freedom. You can't handle the truth. Bringing America the truth about what really happens in the financial world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not here to indulge in fantasy, but in political and economic reality. This is the Watchdog on Wall Street. To a very uh, difficult topic uh, here on the uh, Watchdog on Wall Street show. Um, we do spend a great deal of time talking about foreign policy here on the program. Um, I follow trends when it comes to money. I need to in order to manage money and how companies are able to expand, where they're going to expand, what it means, what's happening in the world. And what we're witnessing right now, what's being laid out in front of us, it's pretty ugly, to say the least, you know. I'm uh, most certainly uh, understating it. You, know, you see, um, see attacks on maternity, hospitals, possibility of, of mass graves, the amount of people that are being killed, and um, it's awful. It's awful. But my job, my job, what we do is, again, we offer perspective. I remember back in the day when, when Fox declared that they were fair and balanced. No, 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 no. We are fair and balanced. Some of the things that we're going to talk about are not going to be, they're not going to be easy for, for people to hear. They're just, they're not. They're not easy for people to hear, but it's, it's the reality of the situation. I, I am, um, I'm concerned I'm concerned with all of this tough guy talk. Tough guys. Got a lot of tough guys out there. A lot of tough guy talk out there. Got to get tough when it comes to Russia. I think it was Joe Lieberman, a piece in the Wall Street Journal. It was on Thursday. Another new tough guy. Yeah, we got we to gotta enforce an no-fly zone. We got to show Putin we're tough. Another people. Sean Hannity, radio show. All right, yeah, let's bomb that. Bomb that convoy. Bomb those Russian tanks and, uh, you know, blame somebody else for it. Say the Chinese did it. I just one ridiculous thing after another. People, have you forgotten that um, Russia has thousands of, of nuclear weapons? H- have you forgotten about that? This is not, this is not us going into, uh, you, know, you know, some third world country. They have thousands of nuclear weapons. Yeah, it was, it was also interesting as well. I did a ton of homework. I spent countless hours over the past several weeks looking into this and you know, consulting with people. Uh, professor, technology professor, MIT, made the, the point this past week. I was listening to him. Uh, you know, our early warning system, as far as nukes are concerned, is phenomenal. We can det- detect any launch anywhere in the entire planet. Russia's not so much. And he, he brought up the point, and this is kind of chilling to some degree. He brought up the point that, that about 20 years ago, and obviously our relations were much better with Russia at that point in time, um, the Russians thought we, we launched against them. But the, the military at that point in time, it said, no, this can't be the case. And you know they talked their way through the entire thing, and it, nothing bad happened. That's that's the situation we're dealing with right now. 
get people out there. I, we're not tough. We're, we're showing weakness by not allowing Poland to give us their MiGs and then we give them to the Ukraine. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, okay? Uh, that's not weakness. That's intelligence. Turn the temperature down. I know. It's hard to see. It's hard to watch on TV what's happening. And you can get angry about the entire situation. And again, I, I, I actually mentioned this when I was on the Fox Business this past week. I hate cancel culture, but that cancel culture most certainly is hitting Russia right now. The different kind of cancel culture is people just saying, no, we're not going to do business there at this point in time. And it's hurting the people there. So you, you, you want, you, you know, you want to expand, you want to expand the Soviet Union, you want the Soviet Union back? Well, then you know what? You're going to get a Soviet economy. See how that works out for you. With, with that being said, that being said, people, and again, it's, it's, it's disconcerting, but it happens all the time. It's like all of social media, all of these people have gone from, uh, from COVID experts all of a sudden to uh, Ukrainian experts overnight. Overnight, we got all the, everyone's gone from being a COVID expert on social media to being an expert on Russia and Ukrainian affairs. And I would, I would bet, I mentioned this last week, I said, I bet 95% of them couldn't find more, couldn't find Ukraine on a map. You know, this is, this has been laid out over the past couple of decades. This is where we get to the point where there's certain things I'm going to talk about. They're not easy to hear. There are plenty, and you got to go back and do your homework, plenty of historians, plenty of people here have warned us again and again and again, stop poking the bear. Stop poking the bear. The bear. Stop expanding NATO. Stop pushing to expand NATO. And again, this is just history, people. Russia swallowed two major NATO expansions. They allowed them to, and they were ticked off about it because we promised them that that wasn't going to happen. And I mentioned this last week on the show. You go back. Go back, 2008, George W. Bush. Oh, we're going to expand NATO into Georgia and the Ukraine. What did Russia do? They invaded Georgia. Uh-uh. Not going to happen. We, we've had one misstep after another misstep. And there's, you know, John Mearsheimer is a uh, professor of political science, University of Chicago. He's, uh, he's got a, a speech that he gave, was it 2014, if I'm not mistaken? 2014, it's, it's, it's gone a bit viral. I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see that, that, that we're going to have a, a more well-informed uh, people out there. But it's, it's not enough. 17 million watched it. And him explaining and saying, hey, listen, uh, we're leading Ukraine down the, the primrose path to failure here, to destruction. And we have. I mean, he was actually on. There was a, a great, um, great panel uh, that I watched this past week. It was Mearsheimer, ex-CIA uh, station chief in Russia, Ray McGovern, and basically laying out, 
you know, why and how Ukraine is going to get wrecked. And not the only one. This past week on the podcast, Robert Service, a leading historian on Russia. He's written books on Stalin. He's written books on Lenin. He's written books on Trotsky. But he's saying, you know, we, we can't do this. You know, actually, I, I grabbed this. I found this this past week. Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger, back in, in 2014, wrote a piece about the Ukraine. This, again, this was taking place where we facilitated a coup. We did it. We spent $5 billion. It's, it was all on tape. There was, there was, I don't know if, again, most people don't even remember this because it wasn't, they weren't thinking about it at that point in time in 2014. We don't pay attention to a lot of these geopolitical events. Ukraine, where the hell is Ukraine? They, they got a conversation. It got leaked on YouTube before the coup happened with, uh, uh, Newland, who was assistant secretary of state, basically saying, yeah, we're, we're facilitating this coup. We have spent $20 billion trying to facilitate a coup in Russia. But again, you know, in this Henry Kissinger piece, I, I talked about, you know, the history between Russia and the Ukraine. I mentioned last week on the program. The, 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 the state of Russia, the Russian people, um, actually goes back, was actually founded in the Ukraine. It, it, Kissinger puts it this way. I'm going to use his words. The West must understand that to Russia, Ukraine can never be just a foreign country. Russian history began in what was called Kiev and Rus. The Russian religion spread from there. Ukraine has been a part of Russia for centuries, and their histories were intertwined before then. Some of the most important battles for Russian freedom, starting with the Battle of Poltava in 1709, were fought on Ukrainian soil. The Black Sea Fleet. Again, that's Russia's means of uh, getting into the Mediterranean, is based in Crimea, which they took. Even such famed dissidents as Alexander Solzhenitsyn and uh, Joseph Brodsky insisted that Ukraine was an integral part of Russian history and indeed of Russia. Against 2014, this is Henry Kissinger. The European Union must recognize that its bureaucratic uh, Nonsense and subordination of the strategic element to domestic politics in negotiating Ukraine's relationship to Europe contributed to turning a negotiation into a crisis. Foreign policy is the art of establishing priorities. Um, again, Ukraine, let's look at their history. Let's look at their history. They were, they've been independent for, what, 32 years. 32 years. It had previously been under some kind of foreign rule since the 14th century. Okay, with that being said, do they have the right to self-determination? Yeah, and El Mundo Perfecto, yes. Yes, I've actually heard the argument countering some of this stuff, saying, well, look at our Declaration of Independence. And, and Mearsheimer, and it brings space, you've got, you got to be realistic, people. You can't live in fantasy world. You can't live in utopia here. 
You have to be realistic when it comes to things. Oh, it'd be great if they could be independent. It'd be wonderful. It'd be fantastic. Maybe they will someday. Who knows? But not now. Not now. And, and again, I, I, people will think about this, okay? If Mexico signed a deal with China, Mexico signed a deal with China, and China was going to put their military in uh, Mexico, just south of our border. Would we let that stand? No. But by any means, I want to be very clear here. This doesn't excuse what Russia is doing. It doesn't. But we have to be realistic, people, okay? You have to be realistic. So listen to these tough guys out. Go get them! No. Okay? And, and maybe, and again, this is, I'm throwing this at the Democrats too, okay? The whole Trump, Russia, Trump, Putin thing made matters that much more difficult. That much more difficult. And, and I, going back, everybody's all, they're, you know, they're all talking about, well, Mitt Romney was right. Mitt Romney was right when he was talking about the you know, foreign policy and Russia being this major adversary and major problem. And, uh, you know, Obama said, uh, you know, the 80s called, they want their foreign policy back. Wait a second. Wait a second. Okay, you have to. You have to. It, it was funny, in the, the panel, they had the, the former, I forget the gentleman's name. The former, he was the last ambassador to the Soviet Union. Last ambassador to the Soviet Union. He made this point about Reagan. He said, Reagan spent, spent so much time trying to understand what Gorbachev was thinking, what he wanted, to his point of view, his side of the story. That was more important, more important than all the missiles and all that other stuff, is understanding their point of view. Anyway, anyway, um, again, we will discuss, we'll continue to discuss this again and again and again on the program because it's, you know, the, this program and also on the podcast, which, again, I, I invite each and every one of you to sign up for at our website at watchdogonwallstreet.com. Get there because um, it is that important, you know, and it's, it's, it's very interesting. The history is very interesting. Do a little bit of homework on this stuff. Watchdogonwallstreet.com. Watchdogonwallstreet.com is our site. Again, our personal CFO program. All sorts of great things there. Watchdogonwallstreet.com. We'll be back. Bringing America financial freedom one listener at a time. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. I want to uh, talk about China and China's role. Um, and everyone's calling upon China to uh, step in and, and mediate this. Um, you haven't noticed China's got a very much a hands-off policy when it comes to Issues uh, that are not theirs. Um, it's interesting as well. You know, you get two of the, the most populous nations in the world. You get China and India, they didn't, you know, basically not coming and signing off on this in the Security Council and condemning uh, what's taking place. Uh, China, Russia, you know, kind of embraced one another. 
But again, China as well is taking a look at what's what's happening there, taking a look at the uh, the backlash that is occurring. And it's I most certainly think it's giving them some pause. One of the things that's been openly discussed is that, okay, you know, Russia's going in. That's going to give China the, uh, you know, the green light to go into Taiwan. Um, Again, uh, I I was wrong. I didn't think I didn't think Russia was going to go into the Ukraine. I didn't. I think they were going to continue to pressure them, but they did it anyway. Um, I could be wrong on this, too. I, I don't think China is going to move on Taiwan. It's, again, very difficult, amphibious landing uh, landings. They have a lot of weapons there in Taiwan. But greater than that is China needs to do business. And, you know, they get the type of blowback. They get, you get the cancel culture. You get LeBron James canceling China or Disney or whatever it may be. Apple, um, that's going to be pretty hard especially with an economy their size. going to remind everybody, you know, Russia, you know, Russia's economy is not even as big as Texas. It's completely different. Another thing I, I wanted to touch on as well, you know, you got a lot of the insiders in Russia and the Kremlin information coming out. Uh, it's, you know, what, what a disaster. What a disaster this thing is. It's been a disaster for them. Um, they've lost warships they've lost planes they've lost thousands and thousands of soldiers um Zelensky has survived a myriad of attacks assassination attempts from these you know these serious hit squads the, the Chechnyan hit squad and one of the oligarch had his hit squad based in Syria that they sent in and two generals two top generals being killed now, again, um, we try to look into things a little bit deeper. Uh, I, I, it, would, it would lend me to believe that somebody, somebody is leaking inside the intelligence services, inside the Kremlin, getting this information to the Ukrainians. Somebody's leaking this information. You're going to take out two generals? So, yeah, it, it's... Again, I am I am praying like we all should at this point in time, praying for this to end as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible, because the Ukraine is going to be flattened. If this thing drags on and on and on, it is going to get ugly. Oh, it's ugly already. It's going to get much worse. Again, we're talking... Grozny, we're talking Fallujah. This is, it's going to get wrecked. And uh, again, I, 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 this point, I didn't understand it prior to me. said, why couldn't you just come out and say, we will not become a member of NATO? That's it. Not going to happen. Why, why, why couldn't you? I, I didn't get it. All right, right, self determinant. <sighs> Anyway, again, you have to, at some point in time, um, you have to be a bit of a realist. You really do. Um, anyway, you know, this is kind of pathetic and sad as well. The United Nations, the United Nations has told their communication staff not to call, not to call what's happening in the Ukraine a war or invasion. I don't know what, what they're, they're calling it, you know, a, a conflict. I, I don't even think they can call it that for crying out loud, the U.N., I mean, why even have a U.N.? 
Yeah, my suggestion is to take that piece of property there and uh, turn it into housing. You know, let, let Trump redevelop that area. Send the U.N. to Darfur. Send it to Haiti. Get it out of here for crying out loud. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. We'll be back. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street. Taking Wall Street's liars, crooks, and cheats out behind the woodshed. You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Watchdog on Wall Street Show. You know, I didn't do this. There's only so many hours uh, in the day. Uh, I'd like to get, you know, at some point in time, put up on our, our website on a daily basis uh, my... Uh, my reading materials, what what I've read, what I'm reading, what papers I'm looking into, various different articles. Also, um, various different panels um, that you can watch and conversations on YouTube. And I, I should probably at some point in time do that. i got to find a, an easy way of uh, facilitating that. Again, there's only so many hours in the day. But um, I was you know, thinking about that when we were talking about the panel. I was watching the discussion they were having, and you had Susan Eisenhower. And uh, and they went back and they're talking about the military industrial complex and what Eisenhower was afraid of. And his what was his remedy? Most people realize his remedy to that and and pushing back against it is a well-informed electorate. And let's be honest, that's something we do not have. It's something we do not have. You know, I, I kind of going off the, you know, the beaten track here to some degree, and, and believe me, I, I can't stand, I can't stand this. And I, Joy Reid, I can't, you know, I can't watch her program. I see clips from time to time. She's just a bomb thrower, but she made the point this past week. She said, "Oh, yeah, people are just paying attention to Ukraine because it's white people." And I, I, no, I, I, I didn't think that that was the case. I don't believe that at all, but. You know, in other situations, other places we haven't gotten involved with, whether it be Rwanda, you can look at that. Africa, you can look at what's taking place right now, war in Ethiopia. Uh, There was a conflict as well not too long ago between Azerbaijan and Armenia. We can go on and on and on. Again, I I am a, a big believer, big believer that we should be leading by Example, you know, that old, you know, Reagan, to be the shining city on the hill that people can look to. You start getting involved in the affairs of other countries, which we have done time and time and time and time again post-World War II. And it just doesn't work. You just build resentment. And again, the amount of issues that we've had, even with the NATO alliance and with Europe, uh, I think that's one of the things that I think Putin miscalculated on as well, is that it's actually you know, made the, the West actually come together to some degree. I don't know if it's going to last, though. That's, that's the thing. I don't. 
I don't know if it's, if it's going to last because, you know, business is business. Let's say God willing, God willing, you know, that this, this ends sooner rather than later. I, you know, do I think that all of these Western companies are going to be back in Russia? Sure. Sure. I, I've never been, you know, when it comes to sanctions, they don't work. They don't work. How long have we been sanctioning Cuba? How long have we been sanctioning Iran? How long have we been sanctioning Venezuela? Now we're going to be loosening restrictions on Venezuela. Again, stay out of it. Stay out of it. Be a better example. But anyway, I start off talking about you know military industrial complex. It's like clockwork. One editorial after another editorial after another editorial talking about how we need to spend more money on our military. We're not spending enough on our military. We need to spend more. We're not spending enough in regards to GDP. I think the, high, the highest level, I think, on a regular basis was during Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, how, how much people? How, I mean, at what point in time? Again, we, we know what we spend in comparison to everybody else. It's not even close. Our two biggest, what we consider our two biggest adversaries. You want to say that in the world? Russia and China combine their military. They don't spend anywhere close to what we spend. But again, push, we need to be able to fight wars here. We need to be able to fight wars there. Why? Why? Why, why do we feel the need that we have to, to do all of this? Anyway, quickly, uh, again, I talk about inflation. I really want to talk. I, we've been talking about inflation here on the show, talking about the pause. CPI, what, close to 8%? Again, again, it, it, you're going to see, and you're going you're gonna to see the, the, the idiot, you know, use, useless pundits out there that don't know anything. Their job is to give the, uh, the talking points from the left. You're going to see them out there. It's all Putin's fault. They're pulling that already. Hey, price of gasoline was skyrocketing. Inflation existed before Russia went into the Ukraine. But now it's almost, it's almost like it's gotten Biden off the hook for his policies. It's almost got them off the hook for their ridiculous policies and all their spending. Oh, yeah, all inflation paid more. No, 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 no. That's, that's Putin's fault. Blame Putin. Probably throw Trump in there as well. It's ridiculous. And again, you, you take a look at job openings here in the United States. 4.8 million job openings. More than unemployed workers. Holy shnikes. I, I, I can't, can't even imagine. Can't even try to get my arms around that. 4.8 million more jobs available than unemployed workers. Anyway, watchdog on wallstreet.com. Watchdog on wallstreet.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back. This is the Watchdog on Wall Street. It's not a it's not a good trend by any stretch of the imagination either. We talk about the politicization of various different, uh, whether it be the military, whether it be our our 
foreign policy. It doesn't make any difference, but you're also getting it at the Federal Reserve. For every, um, for every right of center economist, we'll call it Republican economists at the Federal Reserve, it has uh, more than 10 Democrats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah again, <laughs> just press print. Just press print this whole modern monetary theory crap. It needs to be pulled back in at some point in time. And again, well, you got the House House passed a $1.5 trillion budget resolution. Oh, I know. They took the extra COVID money back. <laughs> Joke. Yeah, we're st- still spending billions and billions of dollars. on it. It's just ridiculous. But again, we still run in deficits. Yep. Yep. Yep, we are. Anyway, um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm, I saw this. I hope you did. It was... Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, down in Florida is giving a, a talk at um, the University of South Florida. He's got a bunch of high school kids behind them, and they're all wearing masks. And he gets, you know, he turns around to him and says, guys, you know, you don't have to wear these things. You don't have to wear these things. It just, he, he called it ridiculous theater. Called it ridiculous theater. And, of course, of course and the funniest thing was that you had the mom of one of the kids that took his mask off. My kid was bullied into taking his mask off. And she's there, and she's not wearing a mask. At, at, what, at what point in time are, are you mask people going to get over yourselves? Huh? At what point in time? I, I, it was Babylon B put out a, a meme or something like that. He said that uh, all of you, you mask wearers out there can replace your mask with a T-shirt saying, I am a good person. Anyway, um, it's another, see, I told you so when it comes to the pandemic. Um, guess what? One of the, uh, the most draconian lockdown countries out there, New Zealand. Australia was as well. Guess what? Guess what? CDC put New Zealand, Hong Kong, it was another big lockdown country, put them on the, you know, don't travel there. Avoid traveling to New Zealand or Hong Kong. We've got high levels of COVID-19. Level four category. So everything you did, New Zealand, did nothing. Did, did, uh, unless, I guess, you were planning, even that, I don't think it would have worked. You know, the virus would have got picked up by the wind and, and blown over there for crying out loud. There's nothing you can do. We, we talked about this when this thing started. You take a look at the his, history of respiratory diseases and pandemics. You, you, you know, you're trying to, to control something that is absolutely uncontrollable. So all of your nonsense was for naught. Just like we told you it was. Anyway, Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. Again, become part of the Watchdog on Wall Street family. Personal CFO program. Our podcast. All sorts of great stuff. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. We'll be back. Chris Markowski is the Watchdog on Wall Street. only man who is taking on the Wall Street establishment. 
You're listening to The Watchdog on Wall Street with Chris Markowski. Yeah, uh, next, uh, we'll definitely be talking about it on the podcast. You've got to make sure you sign up for the podcast. Have to. Um, we're going to be talking about it's various different uh, Republicans that are positioning themselves for a run uh, at the White House. Um, Rick Scott being one, Tom Cotton being another, another one of the topics that is discussing is immigration um, and handling immigration. And I know we spoke about it here on the program. I am uh, pro-legal immigration. It has to be done the right way. But again, I, I mentioned the numbers of 4.8 million, 4.8 million job openings over the amount of people that are looking for work. Uh, need to fill those jobs some way, somehow. Um, I, I would suggest, and I mentioned before in the program, people take a look at some of the plans put forward by some of the House Republicans in regards to this 15-year path, 15-year path to citizenship. That's not easy where you have to pay fines, you have to do a myriad of different things. You can't accept any sort of government handouts or giveaways, or you're out. Can't commit any crimes. There's a lot of stuff that we could do. We have to, at some point in time, try to solve the problem, because we're not. What's taking place at the border is ridiculous. It's unacceptable. A lot of people have gotten into plenty of debates about this in regards to the border wall. And need to build the wall, and Trump and Mexico is going to build the wall. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I, Texas, the state of Texas bought up, uh, I guess, the, the remaining parts of the wall that weren't put up, and they're putting it up themselves. But um, I did mention this on the podcast. It's worth mentioning again. The border wall, Trump's border wall, the steel wall, has been breached, well, at the time of this column, 3,272 times. And you take a look at so how is that possible? Uh, power tools, power tools from Home Depot. Maybe you picked them up at the Tijuana Home Depot. Simple power tools cut right through the wall. They push it back and people sneak in. Um, again, people, it's, it's, if you're a bad guy, you are a bad guy. You are a human smuggler. You are a drug runner. Would you rather go get some power tools from Home Depot, cut a hole in the wall, get through, knowing that there's not going to be any guards there or border patrol there because they're patrolling the areas where there isn't any wall? Which way would you go? I'd have to imagine these uh, drug cartel guys taking a look at us and saying, what the hell are they doing? And I always get, oh, well, Israel's put a wall up and look at that. It worked and... They militarize those things. If you're to put a wall up and you've got guard towers and the place is manned, take a look at the Great Wall of China for crying out loud. Do you you think that the Great Wall kept invaders out, simply the wall in of itself, or were there soldiers there? I mean, it's it's as plain as day, people. We have to come up with something a little bit better. We have to take the politics out of this and look, look to solve the problem. Anyway, I don't know if you saw this. Again, this, the politics, how it exists in this country, the graft that's involved, um, I, it's, it's not even worth yelling about anymore. It really isn't. It's almost, it's just you kind of expect it. You do. You just kind of expect the graft and just how crooked it is. 
Did you see this? It's the former Illinois House Speaker. Former Illinois House Speaker, this Michael Madigan. Take a look at this racket. 22-count indictment. 22-count indictment. Racketeering. All sorts of evil crap that this guy's doing. Again, he's 79 years old. Now, again, um, I hate to be the cynic. Uh, It's not so much being a cynic. It's just being realist, I guess. Um, This guy's never going to see the inside of a jail. This thing is going to get pushed off pushed off and pushed down the road, and nothing is going to happen. And you take a look at all of his buddies, the connects there. And, you know, I know people want to yell and scream about it, but you get the government you deserve, people. You keep voting for these people. What do you expect? You allow them. We allow them to steal by being idiots and not paying attention to who we're voting for. By signing up for a team, by expressing your fandom. I am a donkey fan. I am an elephant fan. And whatever the donkeys do, I'm going to support the donkeys. <laughs> that, that's, that's our problem. It's some clear thinkers. I mentioned Eisenhower a couple times here on the, on the program. And do you know that both, both Democrats... And Republicans were courting Eisenhower to be their nominee for the presidency. And I, I mentioned it was, it was just enlightening listening to, um, I don't want to buy her book. It's got her book about uh, her uh, grandfather um, talking about how, you know, he would listen to Democrats and Republicans argue back and forth in the position they're making. He said it made him want to hide underneath his desk, take cover underneath his desk. This is why we get this, people. This is why we get it. Um, need some better better leadership, that's for sure. We need some people that are actually doing their homework, not looking just to get the folks going. Let's look to get everybody riled up. No. No, some clear thinking would be nice. Anyway, um, this is interesting as well. This has been a pet peeve of mine for years. Again, talking about having a well-informed electorate. I get in all sorts of trouble because I think we should make it much more difficult to vote. That's right. Much more difficult to vote. I actually wrote a column. I said, thank you for not voting. As it turns out, both the, the, the donkeys along with the elephants happen to agree. Poll was done. That it is reasonable to show a photo ID when you go to vote. You don't say. Why? You mean actually prove who you are? Wow, how about that? You have to, you know, in many places still, you got to show that you're vaccinated to get into a restaurant. It's so difficult to show who you are when you go to vote. Watchdog on WallStreet.com. God bless everybody. We'll see you.